So last week we began talking from the book of Romans, and I shared with you the trepidation, I guess you would say, of how sometimes we tend to shy away from passages of Scripture because we're worried about the way that they might be received, and we're worried about the conflict that might surround them. And then I shared with you that as God's people, we should never ever be scared to open up God's Word and to read of God's Word, and we should never be worried about what it might reveal to us or about the situation or, or the things that are going on, because if, if we believe God and if we trust God and we know God to be true, then we, we have to have faith that God is going to take care of such things and God is going to work out the issues that we have. And I shared with you that when Paul was writing to the Roman church and when Paul wrote all of his letters, the one goal that he had was to give God the glory. And as a matter of fact, in his time in prison, that's when we see some of Paul's greatest writings, some of Paul's greatest works, uh, because it was there that he had every single thing that could potentially uh, steal him away. He said he had everything removed and it was just him and God. And so I want us to continue looking in the book of Romans for a while as we can. Uh, one, it's a confrontational book. It confronts every single one of us in the room. Uh, but two, I believe the church at Rome was probably uh, one of the most similar to the, the churches of today. Uh, it had people from all over, it had people from different backgrounds, different ideologies, different viewpoints. And so when Paul writes to them, he takes all of those things into account, uh, but he still points them in the same direction. And that is that everything that they do uh, gives God glory. So before we read this morning, I want you to join me in a word of prayer that we pray that God would uh, illumine us and allow us to set ourselves aside and listen to his word this morning. Would you pray with me? Father God, this morning we come to a passage of Scripture that puts many of us on edge for many different reasons, uh, be it social hot-button topics, be it the disagreement of, of the way that things should be read, be it the fact that uh, we think Paul might just be a lunatic that had good influence. Whatever the reason is, either because of what is going on in Paul's life or what may be going on in our life, perhaps it's even just the way that Paul doesn't sugarcoat anything, and we are uh, people that enjoy sugarcoating. We are people that enjoy being made to feel secure and happy in our standing with you. But God, as we read Paul's words, we know that we're going to need the help of your Spirit in order to hear them and to receive them with the same inspiration in which you spoke them to him. God, when we read the words of the book of Romans, we see things such as your anger of sin and the way that you judge sin, and we think, surely you cannot be speaking to one of us because we are good people. We are people that love our neighbors, and we are people that do good works. So surely these things that you say cannot be pointed to us and we think about the grace of Jesus Christ and we think surely because of this grace, this is not to us. So God, we ask that 
your spirit would come and enter into this place and would help us to set ourselves aside. To let us listen with the ears of our heart that we might hear the why behind you say the things that you do. God, receive the glory from the reading of your word in our time together. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So this week as I was preparing for today and trying to figure out how I wanted to uh, approach this passage of scripture and this topic again about the good news of Jesus Christ and how it intercedes and intersects with the world in which we live and the individuality of which we uh, have been grown and we have been taught to have um, assurance and, and affirmation in, I noticed a note that I, I wrote down last week, uh, or, or wrote down a few weeks ago, uh, and I wanted to share that with you. I think I told you at the end last week, but I want to share it with you again. The whole purpose of reading Scripture, the whole purpose of learning God's Word, and the whole purpose of learning what Jesus said when he said to die to ourselves that we might find life. You remember that conversation he had with the disciples. Uh, Paul, Paul covers all of this when he talks about God's anger and the way that God will still judge the things that are called sin according to his word. Um, he does all this and he takes the thing of Jesus to help the believer understand that growing in Christ is first and foremost about signing a death warrant to ourselves. That is in complete contrast to what the world tells us our goal as individuals and our goal as, as people is. It is to sign a death warrant to our own personal identity. And if there's ever somebody that did that and has the authority to write about that, it is Paul. As a matter of fact, there are several times throughout his writings when he has been confronted and he talks about the reasons why he should be able to do these things in the ways that if he looked at it the way that the world did, uh, he, he is the person that people should respect and look up to. And he said, but I, I count all those things as loss because I've realized what Jesus Christ has done. So here in this passage of Romans, again, from chapter 1 and chapter 2, Paul is writing about the imperative that growing in our faith is about being able to sign the death warrant to the rights to ourselves, That is something that is very hard for people of all ages, all maturity levels, all spiritual levels to do. Because when we have to sign a death warrant of ourself, what we are doing is we are turning off our response to our emotional pulls. We are turning off our response to believe that we are smart and that our intellect allows us to discern the things of God. If you remember when the psalmist was writing, he would write and he would talk about how his heart has become the base of his folly. And he would talk about how those who considered themselves wise were really to be considered as fools when it came to the things of God. Because the things of God are far above an earthly individual ability to understand. And, and so Paul uh, captures that in Romans. And verse uh, 22, I want you to hear those words Again, we listened to those from chapter 1 last week. I didn't put it on the screen this week, and here's why. I've learned that when I put things on the screen, people don't listen. It's our natural response that we just follow the words on the screen, but we don't listen to what they're saying. So I want you to hear these words again. 
Paul said, claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like people and birds and animals and reptiles. So in order that they thought they would be wise, they began to worship things, but they had to be things that they could see. They had to be things that were tangible, things that to them were realistic. Scientific reason looks at things that are realistic, things that are attainable, things that are touchable, before they are in such a state where they can be seen, heard, touched, or smelled, or tasted, or whatever, they become theory. It is only after those senses are able to gain a true knowledge of them do they become what we would call scientific law. So Paul says that these Christian people, these people who claim to be righteous people, people of God, instead became fools because the idea of faith, being confident in something we can't see, being sure of things that we can't touch or feel or know or smell or see. He said they, they turned away the things of faith in order to have the things of reason, and as a result, they began to worship idols. Now, the song that we had during our time of preparation, one of the, the lines that really gets me every time I hear that song is it says, anything that I want with my whole heart is an idol. Have you ever thought about that before? Anything we want with our whole heart becomes an idol. At what point does something become something that we want with our whole heart? When it's all we can think about. When it's all that we can think of to identify ourselves and somebody asks us, who are we? When we wake up in the morning and that's what our first attentions go to, that's the thing that we become the most defensive over, the most protective of. Those are sure signs that something has become an idol. And so what Paul is telling the Roman church and why I think it's necessary that you and I hear these words about something becoming an idol is because it is very, very easy for us to place things in our lives as an idol. And sometimes the number one idol that we place is ourself. We wake up in the morning going, how is today going to be best for me? How can I make things go best for me today? Remember last week it was how can I wake up and experience the, the righteousness of God? How can I be a part of the righteousness of God? Well, a person that has established an idol is God, what can you do for me today? God, what are you going to do in me for my purpose, for my good today? So Paul said that they became utter fools and they began to worship idols and they traded the truth of God for a lie. They worshiped and served the things that God created instead of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. Anybody in here ever been guilty of worshiping a thing? We're not going to raise our hands because we'd all be raising hands. Jeremy, Jeremy, thank you for your honesty. Appreciate you. Um, I, I'm going to be honest with you. There are many things in, in life that, that get my attention. I've shared with you my affinity for golf clubs. That's all I think about sometimes. With me, am I right? She's like, Matt, just stop. See, like, I'll be, I'll be looking at something like, man, this thing's awesome. We should get it, you know. And she's like, you, you, should, you should quit. So I'll share with you all a fun story that has absolutely nothing to do with what I'm talking about. She went to uh, Pine Bluff with some 
uh, co-workers and they went to the Dillard's outlet out there and she was telling me about the things that she bought. She said, I bought Adelaide swimsuit for $90. And I said, 90 what? And she said, $9. I was like, oh, okay. I was like, if I was going to have a conversation with you about the way you spend money, you'd be in trouble. Um, you buy one year old a $90 swimsuit. It was $9. I just can't hear. I know that's surprising to all of you who are married out there. So I, I tell you that whole story to tell you that it is very easy for us to establish things as idols. It is very easy for us to worship things that are of lesser importance, lesser payout, and lesser priority than what God has given us to be able to worship. And honestly, the number one idol that we establish is ourself. The message of marketing is that yourself is number one. The message of the gospel is that Jesus Christ is number one. The message of the devil is is that Jesus is just a player in history. Yet the message of the Bible is that Jesus Christ is the very reason that all things are possible. Any good thing that you can get in this life is a result of Jesus Christ. And so naturally, ourself, apart from Christ, and apart from the guidance of the Holy Spirit and the truth of God's Word, is going to want to lean towards something that is of lesser value. So when we get into the second chapter of Romans, Paul ends his first chapter with this. He says, God's justice requires that those who do the things that God's word has called sin deserve to die. Yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them as well. That is a stark warning for us as believers, as people who claim to be people that have been born again and lived for the sake of Christ, that if we love to do the things that God's word has said we don't need to do, but also if we encourage others to do them, and I'm going to be quite honest with you, we're all guilty of that. Every single one of us in this room are guilty of that because it's fun, because it's easy, because we want to help people feel good and comfortable. It's natural for us. But the thing is, is that Paul is trying to tell you is that sometimes the things that feel natural for us are the things that lead us to death. It is Christ alone who leads us to life. So I want you to listen to how he starts out chapter 2 because Paul is such a wordsmith and he's so eloquent with the way that he tells us things. He says, you people may think that you can condemn these other people, but in reality you're just as bad and you have no excuse. John Wesley would say of Romans chapter 2 that this is the writing of God that is imperative that all people hear and understand that we are without excuse when it comes to the things of God and the truth of God's word because we have it right here in front of us. When John Wesley would stand on the stump and would preach to the crowds, the things that earned him rocks being pelted at him and cowmen were being thrown at him was that he would stand up there and he would tell these people who were living in sin and were happy as pigs in the mud, he would say, you have no excuse when the time of judgment comes because you have been told the things of God. But Paul says, when you say that they're wicked and that they should be punished, don't you realize that you're condemning yourselves because when we judge others, we don't realize that we do these same very things. And we know that God in his justice will punish anyone who does things. So since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think that you yourself can avoid 
God's judgment when you do that? Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? So I'll tell you a unique situation that was going on in the Roman church when Paul wrote this. People thought that because Jesus brought grace and Jesus brought forgiveness and Jesus assured us that faith in him would bring the life in eternity, they thought, well, hey, we're good to go. Some of them even thought, well, if Jesus gives grace more to those who are the worst in life, why don't we amp up our efforts a little bit that we might get some more grace? Does that sound like a smart game plan to anybody? But they did it. They said if Jesus gives out grace to the sinners, then let's be sinners even more so we might get more grace. They were literally saying, let's live it up now so we'll get a better spot in eternity. I don't know if you've ever realized this, but we still get to experience some of the consequences from our actions, don't we? We do? Yeah, I've got scars to prove that. It's the same way in our spiritual and our eternal state. But what Paul is trying to get the church to understand and what you and I as Christians need to understand, there's only one thing that we need to regard in this life. There's only one thing that we need to think about when we think about ourselves and when we think about our neighbor. It is how can we get more of Jesus Christ? How many of us think about our neighbors in those terms? How many of us think about people that we don't necessarily care for in those terms? How can I live my life in such a way that they get to experience more of Jesus Christ? Do you see who's not at the center of that mindset? It's no longer me. It is my neighbor. It's for the sake of God receiving that glory. So Paul is writing to the groups of people that are individuals. They're not of the same mindset. The further we'll get into Romans, we'll see that they are not of the same mindset. But he's telling them that spiritually, the one goal that they need to have is that they can sign that death warrant to themselves. That they no longer regard themselves as the sole owner and proprietor of every minute that they have alive. Paul said that it's not about what you can build up in this life, but it's about who you can build up, and that's Jesus Christ. Because it is Christ who has done the work. He says, be careful that you don't try to follow the rules for the sake of righteousness, because you're not going to be able to do that. We, we've heard that several times through the words of Jesus Christ. We don't build our own righteousness. We don't follow the rules so that we can be righteous. But we hear the truth of God's word. And we live by it because we know that is the way to life. That is the secret to that abundant happiness. That true peace, that true joy that we try to work and we try to save and we try to secure. Paul says, that's all in Jesus. I had everything and now I'm sitting in prison. I ain't got nothing and I'm the best I've ever been. What a mindset. How amazing would it be to live with the understanding that no matter what happens, you don't lose what gives you true peace and joy. That is the message of the life that Christ offers. But then to be in, to be in fellowship with God, 
We can't have that if we have established ourselves as an idol. We can't have that if our emotion tells us more than the Word of God. We can't have that if we think that our intellect is bigger than the one who created us. So this is my challenge for you as a church this week. God is wanting to do something big in your life. If you don't believe it, look at the evidence over the past month. He has removed anything that should be stealing our attention. He has taken away the things that we try to invest in and we try to build up and we try to hold as the idol. And we say, this is God. And he has replaced it with a clean slate for us to think about what is our purpose as the church and why do we exist. My challenge for you is this. Are you signing a death warrant to yourself when you think of Jesus Christ? The cross of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of Easter morning, does that lead you to sign a death warrant to you being the lead of your life? Or are you trying to put God in submission to you and your goals and your powers? Only one of those is going to turn out. So my challenge for you is, is to do that self-inventory. The imperative need for each believer, spiritually, is to sign the death warrant of the disposition to sin. We all have a disposition to sin, whatever you can think it would be. To turn off our emotional response and our intellectual belief that we hold the ability to establish the moral verdict against what God has called sin. And you would be amazed when you look at yourself just how many things you have set before God and you have set before this abundant life that Jesus Christ has called us to. Would you pray with me? Father God, we know that sometimes your word is not what we want to hear. God, we know that sometimes it would be easier for us to rewrite, to ignore, to try to explain away the things that we don't feel comfortable with as opposed to just realizing that your word alone is the word that brings life. It was you who spoke creation into existence. It was you who gave us our days. It was you who saw before we were and you who will see our days before we see them and it is you who will be around long after we are. God, help us to realize that your word is true wisdom. That your word is true knowledge, instruction for living, and for living well. God, as we claim to be your people and we claim to be your church in this community and at this time, God, help us not to set ourselves as the center of your focus, but that we would take 
what you have given us. That we would declare the good news of Jesus Christ. That death has been defeated. That new life has been made possible. That you will judge sin according to the way that you have said. And that you will offer new life to all who turn away from it. That you will guide us. That you would protect us. That you would give us something of abundance that is not affected by storms or by turns in the stock market or even by imprisonment. But what you will give us will withstand all of those things and is secure for all eternity. God, pour out your spirit on us. May our words and our actions give testimony to the new life that has been found in your son, Jesus Christ. We pray all this in his precious and his holy name.